Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with the synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It might help if I unmute myself. So if you are watching this on YouTube, thank you for your patience. Thank you for sticking around. I have had nothing but technical difficulties since I got in here, um, which um, a little background on that is uh, we got a lot of snow this weekend and um, we have no internet and we just got running water back, so, um, but you know what? We're thankful for what we do have, and that is we have heat, we have a roof over our head, and we have the ability to be able to give God's word today, and that is what we are going to focus on. So I'm going to pull this a little bit closer if you're listening on YouTube, just so I can make sure that you guys can hear me, because I am not coming through this microphone set today. However, I am recording the audio for the podcast separately, so if you do have trouble hearing, just know I am recording a backup, and as soon as the internet comes back on, I will upload that to the Course Correction Radio podcast page. So, um, for those of you who are listening to this on audio at a later date i'm going to play a couple of ads uh both from now you see tv and from yours truly course correction radio don't stick any don't don't stick around is what i mean to say don't go anywhere we will be right back here on ccr weekly don't forget to head over to course correction radio scroll all the way down to the bottom of your page and there you will see a place where you can register your email That way, no matter what happens with the YouTube engine, you're always notified whenever we upload a video. And the best thing is, we can bypass those notification systems, go directly to your email. So head over, coursecorrectionradio.com, and subscribe to our email list. Also, while you're over there, if you hit that little star um, under each post, you'll be able to subscribe and be notified that way. Thanks, guys, and we'll be right back with today's show. This is is true, then our country is in a lot of trouble. We would have these trips, these special trips. But he said, my my daddy takes the bodies to the grocery store and he grinds them up and puts it in the hamburger and nobody ever knows it how can kids six eight ten years old be describing rituals that come from a book like the like the book of the dead 
it's hard to get your mind around people being capable of this kind of evil. All right, guys, thanks for sticking tight with us. So um, while I was doing that, I misplaced the Bible that I normally use, but it's okay. I got a new bookshelf right over here beside me. So um, I'm going to grab my Spurgeon Bible, and we're just going to roll with this. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be picking right, picking up right where we left off last week, and that was in Galatians chapter 7 last week. We're going to pick up in verse 8. So let me flip over there, and we'll go ahead and read it. Goodness. All right, there we go. So if you remember, just to give you a quick rundown, if you're coming to this and you haven't seen the past couple of episodes, um, I highly recommend checking those out first and then coming back and watching the replay because we're going to be building off of it. But if you don't want to do that, I'll give you a quick rundown. Basically, the first week we talked about um, Galatians 1 through 5 and how Paul was setting up the thesis for the things he was going to be talking about in the book of Galatians, such as the fact that he was an apostle that was called not of men, but called by God the Father and Jesus Christ. He uh, wished blessing of Chorus and um, Arenas, which is grace and peace um, among the disciples. We talked about how this peace was the same peace that it, it, it's kind of like shalom in Hebrew. And what this peace was, was this was a salvific peace, you know, the peace of your salvation, which the actual Galatians were putting in jeopardy because of the false teachers they were listening to. Last week, we talked about, um, hold on, give me a minute, my mind is blanking here, but we talked about uh, how they were so soon removed from the grace that uh, of Christ into another gospel. And we looked at some false gospels that have presented themselves in both dispensationalism and messianic Judaism, which both preach things that go against the doctrine of Christ. Because the thing about the gospel is, is the gospel builds on Jesus' teaching. It is your way into being a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. You've been separated from God because of your sin. But not only can you have communion with God once again through the blood of Jesus Christ, but you can become an active follower of him and he will show you the way to righteous living that you will be doing in the kingdom of heaven, which by the way is right now. The kingdom of heaven is now. When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it wasn't, there There wasn't, that was plan A, but they didn't listen, so now we got to go to plan B and push it off into some time, so that way the Jews can be utterly forsaken and persecuted and, you know, we'll just focus on the church, but then the church will get zapped up. Nah, none of that's right. Anybody can be a part of the kingdom of God regardless of their background. All they have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and submit to him totally. That was kind of what we talked about last week. And this week we're going to be picking up in verse 8. 
Um, by the way, I should also point out that we talked about how the two different versions of another there, both heteros and alos, which are the two Greek words that can be used interchangeably, but there is some nuance. Make sure you guys go check those episodes out um, because we're going to kind of be building on that as we go today. We're going to be talking about Galatians chapter 1, 8 through 10. So let's get right into the reading. And he said, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I will now, I now say again, if any man preach any other gospel other than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? If For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And that is the reading of God's word. Um, what I want to do is I just want to put this over here for a minute if I can. Hopefully, I can get that to balance up here. Let's try that. There we go. And I want to read out of... Oh, what's wrong book? I want to read out of De Silva's commentary on the book of Galatians uh, from the New International uh, Commentary on the New Testament. And this is what he says about verses uh, 8 through 10. Flip over there. Give me just a minute, guys. He says, Paul's admonishment, verses 8 through 10, Paul's admonishment or astonishment turned to righteous indignation as, with two solemn curse formulas, he calls down divine judgment upon any who turn the good news of Christ into something that it is not. But even if we ourselves or an angel from heaven should go about proclaiming to you as good news something other than what we proclaim to you as good news, let the person be accursed. As we have said before, I now say again, also... If anyone proclaims to you good news, something other than what you received, let that person be accursed. The word translated here, accursed, is anathema. It is routinely used in the Septuagint, the old Greek translation of the Jewish scriptures, to translate the Hebrew word for the ban that pronounced spoils of war, a captured city, or a subjugated people to be devoted to God, a transaction carried out by their utter destruction. For example, see Joshua chapter 6, after Jericho was destroyed, um, and I, they were supposed to not take anything They were supposed to kill everything, right? They were utterly destroyed. That's kind of what the word anathema carries in it. And we're going to dig deeper into that out of the theological dictionary of the New Testament here in just a minute. So it says, That which is abominable in God's sight, which must therefore not remain in the company or possession of the holy people of God, comes under this band. The object that is declared anathema is a danger to anyone who shelters it. Do not bring an abhorrent thing into your house or you will set apart or you will be set apart for destruction, anathema like it. You must utterly detest and abhor it, for it is set apart for destruction, anathema, and that was uh Deuteronomy uh seven twenty six and the uh NRSV, which I'm not a fan of. Um or uh there's also Deuteronomy thirteen eight in the Septuagint. 
But um, but the stakes, he goes on to say, the stakes of rightly receiving the gospel are so high that Paul thinks that anyone who would interfere with this preaching and hearing of the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ, or examples given by changing the message so that people are thrown off course, merits such a sentence. And that's why we're covering the book of Galatians, because we're all about, if you're off course, making a course correction. And that course correction can only be done through the proper doctrine of Christ. And you can people can sit here and say all day, but Paul didn't teach that. No, you just don't understand what Paul taught, but Paul did in fact teach the same as Christ because what does he say? He says as he he says basically this is not the King James, but for whatever reason, this is the version I remember this verse in. Can't even remember what it is, but he basically says imitate me as I imitate Christ. So how can Paul be teaching something that Jesus didn't? It, it, it's nonsense. And you're, you're in danger of being anathematized. Not by me. That's not my place. Paul's the one who called down that divine judgment. I don't need to. All I'm going to do is pray that you open your eyes before it's too late. Because that's why we do this. If you're listening to this, you don't know what the doctrine of Christ is. We want you to know because we want to see you in the active kingdom of God, not only right now, but also when New Jerusalem comes down. Let's go on. He says this. Um, he says, so it basically... Um, anyone who would interfere with preaching and hearing the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ merits such a sentence. Now, now I'm gonna we're gonna break this down a little bit. So the Galatians would not need to be familiar with these passages. We don't really need to read that. Basically, what he says is they don't have to be familiar with the passages from the Torah because it was such a strong argument that Paul gave. They would have gotten the gist. So uh, Paul calls down the imprecation which isn't an interesting thing because that's the same word that R.H. Charles uses for the curse that the fallen angels put on themselves on Mount Hermon in the book of Enoch. So Paul calls down the imprecation first upon his own head and then upon the head of any angelic messenger in the most unlikely event that he or such a figure should come to the Galatians with a full with a message different from the one they had first received. By the way, if you haven't watched it yet on truthradioshow.com, and on the Truth Radio Show YouTube channel, Dan and John Hall talked about um, seducing spirits and various religions like Mormonism. Um, I, should, I shouldn't even call them religions. They're cults. Cults like Mormonism, uh, Jehovah's Witness, things like that, Islam. I don't know if they talked about that one. I didn't get to finish it. But what's interesting is all of these claim some sort of angelic figure appeared to them and gave them a gospel different than what was found in the Bible. They twist it to... Uh, to to essentially get people, they give them enough scripture to think they're safe, but then they'll throw it out later and say, you don't even really have to worry about the Bible. This is the revelation you need. They, this is where it's at, basically. And they'll give you their false, their false books and doctrines and oral traditions and things like that. So, um... But, you know, Paul repeats the imprecation in one nine. He indicates that he repeats an earlier warning about or to people who preach a different gospel. And basically what he says is he said, um, you know, it is not possible that he is referring to the immediately preceding verse in, in, uh, in verse 8, emphasizing the solemnity of his pronouncement height by heightening the drama of repetition in the moment. For several reasons, it seems more likely, however, that Paul here refers to a warning he had given during one of his earlier visits to these churches. 
We find a similar reference to the previous warning in Galatians 5.21, which must be a reference to instructions given during a previous visit, and there is no possible antecedent with the letter it, within the letter itself. So, And Galatians 5.21 says this. I'll go ahead and try to read that just so we can have some familiarity with what he's talking about. And verse 21 says, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, um, revelings, such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, I mean, this computer's useless. I might as well just turn it off. Um, So... You know, this was an ongoing problem in the book of Galatians. That's why, you know, people can talk about, and, and you know, people that don't like Paul, they'll actually try to tell you that Paul couldn't have had the Spirit of God because he was just too harsh sometimes. I've actually heard an anti-Paulian say that. But they don't have the spiritual discernment to be able to think critically because they have not a love for the truth, so they're being turned over to a reprobate mind. When the fact of the matter is, is Paul is is he's got some righteous indignation because the people that he has poured so much time into and invested so much love in are now turning away from the only thing that can save them from the damnation and the wrath to come. So, um, excuse me. Um, Paul raises the topic of his credibility. This is verse ten explicitly as he rounds out the opening of his letter with two rhetorical questions. Am I trying, basically says, am I, you know, am I speaking to, (coughs) am I trying to please people or am I trying to please God? Because if I'm trying to please people, then I'm of no use to Jesus Christ. He's like, look, I'm not a people pleaser, Um, which De Silva actually says was probably an argument that his, um, that his opponent said to try to win, uh, to try to win people over to their cause to make it seem right. Well, you can't believe Paul; he's just a people pleaser. You know, I guess trying to say that he was pleasing—I don't know—probably the Gentiles. Like basically, like, look, you're not following the law, the whole law of God. So therefore, Paul's trying to please your flesh. That's just my assumption, but I and and that's not the case because anybody who has enough biblical understanding from front to back, knows Paul never tells anybody to break the commandments. But what he does tell people to break is the traditions of men, both on the pagan side and the side of Judaism, because neither one carries the true testaments of God. And we looked at that last week when we talked about the uh, Messianic Judaism that puts too much emphasis on rabbinic tradition— in, uh, even in the fact that they have their own synagogues, they do their own halakha, they do all of their own stuff. So, okay, you just set it on the bottom shelf. That'd be great. Sorry, guys. Sarah came in because she's trying to keep Meredith from eating my dinner. <laughs> so, but um, you know, they put they have their own halakha. They uh, and by by that I mean they've basically just uh put Jesus in it. Um, they do their own, um, at least the ones that I've been a part of do their own, like their own cantillations, things like that. They've got basically the rabbinic service, but with the Jesus flavor, it's literally just the seeker friendly movement for Jewish people is all it is. And then you have dispensationalism, which, uh, tends to favor the most seeker friendly churches, 
because it's easy believism. There's, well, that stuff's for the Jews. We don't have to do that. That stuff's for the millennial reign. They can just nuance everything to death to the point where the ones that I have had comment about it on my on my channel after a while i'm just like look i'm not gonna waste my time with you anymore i'm gonna go ahead and tell you these people are so they're so um bewitched and we'll get into that later in the book of galatians but these people are so bewitched and enchanted with their false doctrines and so caught up in these strongholds of these demons that they're not going to hear the truth so you give it to them and, you know, I mean, you could do the book of Titus if you want. The book of Titus says you admonish somebody three times, and then you turn them over to the devil. And, you know, it's just to the point where you've got to be like Brother David says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. You, you can't just sit there and argue to death with these people. They're not going to... Um, they're Essentially, they're, they're just... They're, you're not going to break through to them. Only God can do that. So... That that is that's basically, you know, if I've completely forgot where I was going with that thought, but basically, you know, you just got to give people the truth, and if it's up to them whether or not they want to receive it. All right, let's go on. So. Let's uh now we talked about we talked about in his commentary he talks about how the word anathema is essentially uh being set apart to the destruction of God basically think the nephilim the fallen angels the things like that because that's going to come up later in the show towards the end of it when we go into our kind of our third segment of this thing so um right here I have the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, Volume 1. And if you head over to... I'm trying to remember where it's at. I, I don't know why I'm looking. I wrote it down. If you turn to page 354 of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, Volume 1, you have anathema. And it says... The Pauline use, so basically this is what it means. Um, the Pauline use, in the New Testament, it's used as a sense of offering only in Luke 21, 5, where the Jerusalem temple is basically, um, let's read that, 21, Luke 21, 5. Luke 21, 5. And let me put these over here so I can mark my place and not lose it. But... Luke 21 and verse 5 says this. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things, which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another, and it shall be thrown down. So, um, you know, let's think of it like this. So, get my leg up here so I can prop this book up. So, you know... It's used uh, as an adjective of the consecrated offerings laid up in the temple, which is kind of what they were talking about with it being adorned. You can find it in the Septuagint in places like Second Maccabees 2.13. Um, 
I think that's Theodosian Judges 16.19. Elsewhere in the Septuagint, we have anathema. You can also find it in Philo. But we want to pay attention to the Pauline, and this is what how Paul used it. The Pauline use of anathema is along the lines of the Septuagint. For Paul, the word denotes the object of a curse. 1 Corinthians 12.3, which we will read, um, says this. I really need to break in the Spurgeon Bible more. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says this. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So basically, if you ever hear anybody talk about Jesus being accursed, you'll know that they're not. That word accursed there is anathema. It's the same one we have right here in Galatians. So, But he goes on and says, um, this says, literally that that, that is um, lege anathema Jesus, which means accursed be Jesus. It would be a self-contradiction for the Christian pneumatic to curse Jesus, i.e., to deliver him up to destruction by God. This is a divine curse, a divine judgment. You're being set apart to destruction. Um, the curse formula is also used in 1 Corinthians 16.22, which, um, which says this, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha. So, you know, let him be accursed. You know, you've got to love Jesus. And what did we talk about the first time? If you love me, keep my commandments. If we say we know him, we ought to walk even as he walked. Look, here's the thing about it. This is what I need everybody to understand. If you don't take anything else away from this first part of this, hear this clearly. You have... um. You have, essentially, you can say you love Jesus all day long, but understand that love is a verb. It is an action. You have to act out that love. What is what is job? What does James say? Faith without works is dead, right? Um, which I would argue that most dispensationalists cannot grasp that because they think the book of James is, and Hebrews, for whatever reason, are not for Christians, which is probably one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, if I'm being perfectly and un, like honest and unfiltered. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, and it's not their—it's really, honestly, not completely their fault. They've been taught wrong, but they refuse to let go of the strongholds. Anyway, you know— you have to actively love Jesus. And Jesus, he tells you how to love him. He says in John, if ye love me, keep my commandments. So understand, if you don't love him, if you don't keep his commandments one day and you do not repent of this and turn to loving Jesus and keeping his commandments, you will be anathema. By the way, guys, I'm going to go back. I have, the, with the streaming that I'm using, I have no idea. Let's see. There we go. All right, I got it to where I can see you guys on the chat now. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't think I had the ability to see the chat, but I actually can. So it's good to see you guys, every single one of you, Patsy, Cat, all of you um, that I've seen so far. It only gives me about four or five at a time. So I just want to say hello to everybody in the chat. God bless you all, Greg. Good to see you, brother. Um, good to see all of you. I love 
being able to fellowship with you guys every week. So let's go on. Um, Paul even says in Romans 9, 3, I wish, I, could, with, I wish myself accursed from Christ and expelled from fellowship with him, basically talking about if he could, if it meant saving all of his Jewish brethren that were not a part of the spiritual household of Israel, he would do it. That's how much Paul loved his 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 Pharisaic Jewish and and Jewish brothers and sisters that were a part of the the synagogue of Satan. Essentially, he would even accurse himself if it meant bringing them all in. That's love. That is love. He would set apart himself for divine destruction to save every single one of them. That's the love of Christ. That is the love of Christ because Jesus Christ took on the wrath of God. You know, the Bible says that Jesus became the propitiation for our sins. And what the word propitiation there means is he literally stayed the wrath of God through his death. His blood atoned for the wrath on us. And that's why Hebrews is so clear that if you trample upon the blood of Christ, there is no longer forgiveness for sins because you have counted it a cheap and a worthless thing. Now, there are there are people who who you know, they they come to the point where they feel like they've sinned so much that they can't be forgiven. But ultimately, what everybody has to understand is your forgiveness and your salvific state, your state of salvation and reconciliation is between you and God alone. I cannot judge where you are at with your salvation, but I can tell you this. Personally, for me, if you recognize the fact that you have sinned grievously, I think that's a good sign, and I would take that to the Father. Take it straight to him. You don't need my you don't need my two cents. You don't need my blessing. You don't need anything or anybody's. It's between you and God alone. And I do know this. The Bible says that those who had a love not for God and worshiped the creature above the creator, they turned over to a reprobate mind, which means worthless. Philippians says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you know? So that was an aside, but I felt like that that, that was, you know... I, I had somebody message me about that earlier and ask ask about that, and you know that's that's just the thing. I'm sure there's others that were that are out there that have wondered that. And the, here's the thing about it: the um, you've got to you've got to walk out these things yourself. Take it to God directly. So, you know. But I just, I wanted to share that because that was, that was, I, you know, think about that. Think about, think about the word anathema. And I really want to pound that home. Think about the meaning of the word anathema. Paul says, I would rather, he said, if I could, I would face divine judgment, talking in Romans 9 about his, his Jewish brethren. So, um, and let's go. He says, the controlling thought here is that of the delivering up the judicial wrath of God of one who ought to be anathema because of his sin. We can hardly think of an act of church discipline. So don't think, you know, don't think, you know, when, when church discipline talks about, you know, Matthew 18, you know, 
If your brother have aught against you, take it to him. If he doesn't repent, you take two more, two or three more, for where two or three gathered in my name, there I am also. If he doesn't repent, then you take it before the assembly, the church, and then if he doesn't repent, he let him be as a publican and a tax collector. No, because there's still a chance for him to come back. But what Paul is saying here is, is if these people are willingly and knowingly teaching another gospel other than that which was delivered unto you, let them be set apart to the divine wrath of God. You know, the, 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 you know the, 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 essentially the bowls of Revelation, chapter 16. That's how serious this is. That's how serious it is to preach another gospel or even, look, here's the thing, and this is, I'm, I'm so serious when I say this. You cannot just teach half the gospel. Um, and, and, you know, it, it floors me how people, I was just talking with somebody in the comments section earlier this week about this. The gospel starts with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But it goes so much farther than that because what does the Bible say? The Bible says when we preach the gospel, we also have to go out there and heal the sick and cast out devils. And what did Jesus say in the Great Commission? He said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now that is where modern Christianity stops. That's all they do. That's the only gospel they give. But what does Jesus say after that? He says, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. There's a promise that comes with that. Can't be with you if you're not a part of his fold. You can't be a part of his fold unless you're teaching the whole doctrine of Christ. What does he say? He says in Matthew chapter 5, but if anybody teach them to if anybody breaks the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so, they shall be least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what that means, but I know it's not a good thing. So let's I think I just dropped my notes. I did. Let's go on. I want to move through this as quickly as we can tonight. Goodness, if I keep kicking this thing, I'm gonna knock over my camera. Um so, and you know, I, I saved some of those, uh, that was terrifying. Um, I had some of the scriptures from the Septuagint, but I do not know where I put my Septuagint. So, um, but just know that there's places, if you have a Septuagint, here are the verses where you can find the word anathema in the, in the Greek Old Testament, in the Septuagint, Leviticus 27 28, it's translated there as destroy and mine, but I don't have a Brenton Septuagint. I can't find one. I've got one of the newer ones, which is probably not as reliable. Um, you've got Deuteronomy 7.26 and 13.17, Joshua 6.17 and 7.11, and then you have Zechariah 14.11 where the word anathema. What's interesting, though, is it's quoted in the book of Revelation later, that passage from Zechariah 14.11, but the word is changed. It's not anathema anymore. In Revelation, it is katathema, which is, and there's, there's something, there's an entry about that in here, too. Katathema is equivalent to anathema, 
uh, it's uh, it is it basically it is where where hold on let me find it the rare katathema which is probably another and sharper form of anathema the kata frequently indicating a hostile influence or which may be a contraction of katathema is not found outside earlier early Christian texts so um you know Philo things like that except on a Cyprian magic tablet of the third century you know there's an uh, you know that I find that interesting you know other than outside of early Christian texts the only other place you can find it is in a magic tablet I don't know the significance of that but it, it, it it's interesting. Um, because anathema and katathema, think of katathema. If anathema is a, in the Bible, is a, um, is a divine judgment, look at katathema as, um, you know, God is very hostile to those who would seek to destroy his own people. And if you are one who is going to, twist the words of Scripture and spit on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to face the hostility of the Creator who can not only create with a word but can destroy. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, Fear not not him who can destroy the body, but both him who can destroy the body and the soul, right? So let's move on. Um, In the New Testament, you've got 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 16.22, which we read, Romans 9.3, which we also went over. But let's compare this. Let's compare this to Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, which if you're familiar with that passage, that's the uh, cursing of the fig tree. Which here's the interesting thing about that. The word anathema or curse is actually never used in that passage. So how can we know it's about cursing? Let's check it out. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 and verses 12 through 14. This is what it says. And we'll actually, we'll start in verse 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came in, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Now, you might be thinking, if the time of figs was not yet, then why was Jesus so upset with a fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit out of season? Apparently there was a bud on the fig tree from what I from what when I did my research on this there's a bud on the fig tree that is also edible and it didn't even have that. So, you know, what does he say? He says come bearing forth meat or fruit for repentance, right? Um is something that John the Baptist talked about. But essentially the fig tree in this representation did not even have that Israel which represented the fig tree did not even have the fruits that would prepare them for repentance. And so what did Jesus do? He cursed the fig tree and said this. And seeing, uh, he and Jesus answered and said unto it, verse 14, No man, I said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So what I want to do now 
is I'm going to pull out Matthew Henry and we're going to read his his commentary on this part of Mark because you know in a day where it is dangerous not not actually dangerous but you know where it's you know you'll be you'll be basically people are going to snub their nose up at you or, you know, you won't be allowed to fellowship with them or you'll get called names and anti-Semitic to say anything bad about anybody that's Jewish, regardless of what they believe. Hear this. Mark chapter 11, and this is what, this is what he had to say on it. He says, number one, Christ cursing the fruitless fig tree. He returned in the morning at working time, and so intent was he upon his work that he went out from Bethany without breakfast, and he was hungry. He went to a fig tree, being well adorned with green leaves, which he hoped to find enriched with some fruit, but he found nothing but leaves. He hoped to find, um, he hoped to find some fruit, for though the time of gathering in figs was not near, or was near, it was not yet. There was not so much as one fig to be found upon it though it was full, so full of leaves. However, Christ was willing to make an example of it, not to the trees, but to the men of that generation, and therefore cursed it. He said unto it, Never let, never let any man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. This was intended to be a type and figure of the doom passed on the Jewish church to which came which he came seeking fruit, but found none, Luke thirteen six and 7. The disciples heard what sentence Christ passed on this tree and took notice of it. Woes from Christ's mouth are to be observed and kept in mind as well as blessings. And so what's interesting about this is if you read this passage immediately after this, is when he expelled the money changers from the temple. He was already getting ready to pronounce the curses upon, the divine curses upon the temple establishment and the Levitical order that had become corrupted in Jerusalem. We know later, I believe it's in Matthew 23, he says, your house is left unto you desolate. This was when, this is when essentially... Any last remnant of the Spirit of God upon the the earthly temple and the Levitical order completely left and was done for. That was it. There was nothing else after that point. So, um, let's see. Now, here's what I want to read you. And I'm sorry, guys. We've got a lot to cover, but I need, I need, um, I basically, what I need people to realize is that, um, what we are being told is, uh, just different forms of Christianity today is not okay. You know, our first ever podcast we ever did on here was about the fact that there are 45,000 Protestant denominations, and there's no way that that is okay. It is literally a shattered body. And, you know, you, you, you shatter your body and see how well you, you can work. I've seen that happen. And people, people cannot, I mean, you, if, you, if you were to shatter your own body, you're not going to be able to survive. How can we think that the body of Christ will survive? 
But we also have to understand that, you know, the body of Christ, you know, he never said that it was going to be a huge body. He said there was going to be a remnant. You know, that should make people stop and think. There's going to be a remnant. So what is everybody else? That's not a part of it. Jesus said, many will come in that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name and in thy name cast out many devils and in thy name do many marvelous works. And he said, I, and I will say to them on that day, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity or lawlessness, anomia, without law. So, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have a rude awakening. And that's why we're doing this episode. So this is from Restoring the Jewishness of the Gospel by David H. Stern. This is the translator of the complete Jewish Bible and of the uh, Jewish New Testament commentary. Um, And this is what he says. God will fulfill his promises to the Jewish people. A major corporate element in the good news is the guarantee that God will fulfill his promises to the Jewish, Jewish people as a people. Keep that in mind, as a people. The kingdom will be reestablished with the son of David on the throne. The the Jewish kingdom will be reestablished. He says, um, he says, many are unaware that the New Testament affirms the future fulfillment of God's promises to national Israel. We shall examine two texts by way of demonstration. The first is Matith Yahu or Matthew twenty three. 37 through 39. I just got to say, I'm, this is just me because I've got a version. We're going to be talking a little bit about Second Baruch. I might actually save that for next week because um, I just don't think we're going to have enough time this week or maybe record it later this week and do a pre-recorded one. But um, there's Second Baruch gives basically uh, what are called the light and dark waters. And um, it is basically a, um, a picture of the wheat and the tares throughout throughout creation until the time of Jesus coming. And um, it for whatever reason, the only version I could find was like a Hebrew Roots version. And I cannot stand. There's absolutely no need to use Hebrew words when you're speaking English, unless you're trying to give the nuance of the word. Like, for instance, if I say Yeshua instead of Jesus, it's because I want people to focus on the fact that Jesus' name originally given to him, Yeshua, means salvation. And that meaning of salvation carries over to the name Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of salvation. He is your salvation. And that was his name as well. But that's just a pet peeve of mine. I cannot stand. I cannot stand Heblish. So basically, Matthew 23, 37 through 39, after excoriating a particular group of Torah teachers, scribes and Pharisees, uh, who hardened hearts had turned against spiritual truth, Yeshua, Jesus, exclaimed, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you killed the prophets. You stoned those who aren't sent to you. How often I want to gather you, uh, gather your children just as hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you refused. Look, God is abandoning your house to you. It's, you know, behold, your house is left unto you desolate, um, which is Jeremiah 22, 5. For I tell you from now on, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, 26. But here's the thing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is uh, not something that a non-believer is going to say. What did we just read what Paul said? Paul said, you can tell anybody who... Um, 
who says that Jesus is cursed is not of the Holy Spirit. And the Babylonian Talmud says that Jesus is in hell burning in his own excrement. That sounds like a curse to me. So you're telling me that somehow this is going to happen without people being rejuvenated through the Holy Spirit. They're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they don't have to submit to to true Christian beliefs. I ain't buying it. I'm not buying it. The Bible makes it very clear that there will only be a remnant. If you were to read Romans 9 through 11, which I will have to do a show on sometime, I do not have time to do it all. But basically, Romans 9, Paul Paul talks about how, you know, the Jewish people, he basically sets it up, and I'll I'll, I'll try to hit some highlights because we got maybe 12 minutes left in the show. Um, But let's see. Book of Romans. Goodness gracious. All right, so if you go to Romans chapter 9, basically, I'm going to hit the highlights. I'm going to basically do the sports center reel of Romans 9 through um, 11. But Paul, Paul basically says, I say, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing my witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I, wish, I could wish that myself were accursed, anathema, for Christ, for, uh, from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the services of God, and the promises. That's where most people stop. So... He says, but this is what he goes on to say, whose are the fathers and whose are the concerning of the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever, amen, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. You have to understand that. You, the people cannot grasp the fact that if everyone who is of Israel is not of Israel, then there is no national Israel. Biblically, yes, there's a national Israel. I have no problem with that. I think that, you know, everybody deserves to have their sovereignty as a nation. This is beside the fact. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about biblically, there is no national Israel. Not yet. There is the kingdom of heaven, which is a spiritual Israel. God said, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight. But his kingdom is not of this world. So, he says, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are, are they all children, but in Isaac thy seed shall be called, because Isaac, as the seed of Abraham, was a foreshadowing of the promised seed of Christ. That is, they which are the children of flesh are not all the children, are, uh, they, are, they that are the children of the flesh, of fleshly Israel, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promises are counted for the seed. And what does Galatians 3 say? If ye are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We talked about this. Romans chapter 10 is basically um, Israel's rejection of Jesus which is why not everybody that is of Israel is of Israel. Um, But basically, Romans 11 is about how a remnant remains. Now, let's read, we're going to read verses 11 through 24 very quick. This is what it says. I say then, 
Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. You know, God has everything in a plan. He used all of this for the purpose of bringing everybody who wants to come back in, back in, not just some ethnic group that, you know, may have been a part of in the past. And I would submit to you when it says that there's one law for both you and the stranger who Sir Jones among you, that was always the plan, and rabbinic Judaism got it wrong. So let's go on. Now, if uh, so, uh, verse 12, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch that I am an apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, the Jews, the ethnic Jews, and by and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, the Gentiles were graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So... The branches then will say then that will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, there is goodness and severity of God. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell severity, but toward the goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. See, this salvation ain't a one and done thing. Oh, I believe Jesus was saved. Ah, I'm good. No, you have to continue. He who endures till the end shall be saved. And this is what it says. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again for if thou wert cut off of the olive tree which is wild by nature and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree it is literally only the fact that they do not submit to Jesus' authority as the anointed one and as God in the flesh that keeps the Jewish people from being in this kingdom. It would be so much easier for them to get in because they already had the oracles of God given to them, but because they have not a love for the truth, which is Jesus, they have been turned over to a strong delusion, just like we are seeing in the quote-unquote Gentile churches now. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. If you do not follow Jesus in totality, you will be accursed. Now, to wrap this up, we're going we're gonna to fly through this. If I can find the book. Yeah, here it is. So in the book of Enoch, chapter 27, this is what it says. You know, what kind of a curse awaits these people? Well, the book of Enoch in the New Testament tells us. Then I said, for what purpose is the blessed land, which is entirely filled with trees, and this accursed valley between them? Then Uriel, one of the holy angels who was with me, answered, saying, this cursed valley is for those who will be cursed forever. Here 
Will all the accursed be gathered together who utter with their lips unseemly words against the Lord? You know, like he's boiling in hell in his own excrement. Um, and speak insolently of his glory, i.e., they say that he is not God in the flesh. Here will they be gathered together, and here will there be their place of judgment. In the last days there will be upon them the spectacle of righteous judgment in the presence of the righteous forever. Now, this cursed valley is known in the book of Jeremiah as the valley of Hinnom, or the valley of the son of Hinnom. In Second Kings, it is referred to as the valley of the children of Hinnom. This is where Tophet was. This is where people would literally pass their children to the fire, through the fire to Molech, and it became known as the accursed valley. Now, Jesus says this, and we're only going to read a couple of these, but if you go to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, this is what Jesus says. And this is where we're going to wrap this up and bring it home. Now, Jesus uses the word Gehenna, which is where, it basically, the word, there's the valley of Hinnom, or the son of Hinnom, Ben-Hinnom. And then Ge-Ben-Hinnom became shortened to Gehenom, and then in the Greek got transliterated as Gehenna. And that is where this accursed valley comes in to the eternal curse that is placed on unbelievers. Matthew chapter 5 and verse... Let me let me remember where it's at. Um, verse verses twenty one through twenty six say this: You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time. Jesus is confronting the teachings of the oral Torah here, the Mishnah, that it later became known as a couple hundred years later. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. The word hell there is the word Gehenna, the accursed valley. Later... And this, he even says, um, there's another place in Matthew chapter 5. Let me get my notes. And this is what he says about this. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, he says this. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it profitable it is profitable for thee that not one of thy members that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. So think about this. You know, that not only goes for if you are having a sin that you are struggling with, cut that temptation off wherever it is at, because that sin will damn you. To being accursed. This is why I say you can't teach half the gospel because that's not the gospel. You got to teach obedience to Christ too because that's really where your salvation lies is in obedience to Christ. Think about it like this. If you are a church body, a fellowship, and you have somebody who is willfully sinning, this is where the church discipline part kind of connects because this person that is willfully sinning or, um, you know, or I won't even say willfully sinning, but I'll say, if you have somebody in your group that is sowing discord and teaching false teachings and going against a false gospel, cut them off. Get them out of there because it is better that you cut that one piece of your body off than your whole body go into hell because of their damnable teachings. So 
You know, there's that. Matthew 10, 28, 18, 9, 23, 15. All of these are the word Gehenna. And this is what, this is basically when Paul is saying, if anybody teaches anything that you have not received earlier, the truth of the gospel, which we will expound upon more next week, but this was what Paul talked about, that Jesus, you know, he talked about it earlier. Jesus was God in the flesh, came down. Now, keep in mind, other places in the Bible, Paul talks about Jesus being a part of creation. So when Jesus when Jesus utters a decree and you find it in the red letters in your Bible, those are the words of God. To disobey any of them means that you do not have God. And that is why Second John chapter 9, Second John verse 9, excuse me, if any man transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, who is God in the flesh, he hath not God. So think about it this, Deuteronomy 18, and we'll close, we'll close with this because Paul's going to talk about later in the book of Galatians how, and, and other places in the Bible, you know, if you follow the law, you have to keep it perfectly. But if you deny Jesus Christ, you can't do that. And Deuteronomy 18 tells us why. This is a divine decree from God in the Torah. And this is what Deuteronomy 18 says. And this is why, if you don't follow the teachings of Christ, whether you believe that he died uh, died for your sins and resurrect, went into the grave and resurrected and ascended, if you don't obey him, it does you no good. Because if you really believed that, you really believed he was God in the flesh, you would obey every word he said. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and this is where we'll close out. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise them up a prophet, capital P in the King James, from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I, yod heh vav -Heh, the Lord, shall command them. Now, I say yod heh vav -Heh, because if you go up to verse uh, 17, it says, And the Lord, yod heh vav -Heh, said unto me, Moses. But he says that I, that I shall command him. It shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Understand this. If you are watching this and you have not submitted fully to the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is every red letter statement in your Bible, you have not God. And he will require your disobedience of you when you are anathematized upon Jesus' return or upon your death, whichever comes first. You will be separated into the accursed valley, into the lake of fire that burns eternally if you do not submit fully to the doctrine of Christ. How can you be a follower of Jesus Christ if you do not follow him. You cannot. And people can say that I am harsh with people all they want. But if you teach dispensationalism, you're in danger of being accursed. <laughs> and I'm going to lay it into you. I, I mean, and I'm going to do it in the most loving way I possibly can. But I would rather you think that I am mean than have not warned you at all of what is going to come when you face Jesus upon your death. Because it will not be pretty. 
And it's not enough for me to just say these things. I have to think about this each and after each and every show I do. Am I doing the things that I am telling others they need to do through the word of God? Because the book of James says, be not a hearer, you know, be a, wor- a doer of the word of God and not a hearer only. And I want people to understand that the message of God has never changed. And if you think it has, you're a Marcionite. I mean, I just, I don't have any other way to put it. And let me just tell you what Polycarp called Marcion when he came across him. Up here on the shelf right over to my right, I have uh, volume one of the Anti-Nicene Fathers. Now, I haven't gotten into it a whole lot yet, but I know at some point Polycarp came across Somebody recorded that Polycarp came across Marcion, who taught that the God of the Old Testament was a different God than Jesus, and Jesus came to save us from the God of the Old Testament. Sounds a lot like dispensationalism. And when Marcion, when, when, um, essentially when Polycarp saw Marcion, he called him the son of Satan. Is that really what you want to be known as? Is somebody who taught something similar to Marcion, who was called the son of Satan? You know, and like I said, I don't have to put this divine judgment on you, nor do I have the desire to. But I do want you to understand that Paul already called down the fire of heaven, essentially, on you if you do not teach the full gospel, which is that Jesus, the creator, the God, the son of God, the word, the logos, different from the father, but equally God, came down in the flesh died for our sins, and even gave us an example of how we are to live our lives, which is why John said in his epistle, if we say we know him, we ought to walk even as he walked. If you are not teaching that to people, you are not teaching the gospel, and you are in danger of being anathema or accursed. But it's not too late. Just read the Bible. Submit to the Holy Ghost and ask for him to guide you into all truth, which is what Jesus said he would do, he would remind you of what Jesus said. It's that simple. It's never too late. As far as I know, that's not my place to judge. But what I do know is that if you have that prick on your heart, you need to answer that call right now. Guys, that's about all I have for you on today's show. I just want to thank you all for joining me. been so wonderful to see you all. Um, Annie, mercy on us, Greg, um, which mercy, I don't know if you're okay with me using your real name in the chat. Let me know. And if you're okay with it, I will. Um, but, um, all of you guys, Kat, Patsy, thank you all so much for coming out to the show tonight. Um, I don't want to keep you guys any longer and I will see you right here next week, 5 p.m., Eastern Standard Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, and I believe 4 p.m. Central, right here on CCR Weekly. You guys all take care. We will see you next time. God bless.